introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach Fell. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wisconsin Music Podcast, episode 30. This week, we have Alex Ramos. Alex has been playing music since around the age of eight. He comes from a very musical family. His great-grandfather, Robert Matheson, was a founding member of the Wisconsin Musicians Union and Sheriff of Racine. He plays a handful of instruments, some better than others, but prefer the bass guitar as his main instrument. He's in a band called Cool Zoo, which he drives down to Illinois to rehearse with. But he is a Racine native and lives in Racine. Diamond Dave Photography, the photography that supports local music in Wisconsin, and is ready to work with your band or any solo artist on your next promo pictures or band show. To contact Diamond Dave and see previous work, check out Diamond Dave Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Wisconsin Music Podcast is also brought to you by ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio Recording and Mixing Services. Specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. Alex, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Appreciate you being here. Right on. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Why don't we start with your, your musical origin story? Yeah, the origin goes way back, man. A great-grandfather, Robert Matheson, started the Southeast uh, Wisconsin Musicians Union. Also was like originally like sheriff of Racine, I believe. Yeah, the musical origins go like all the way back to Norway or something like that. Eight, nine generations or more than I can keep track of. Like I've been told many, many stories, but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I, I was a symphony geek as a kid, probably the bane. Of, of Mr. Johnson at Thurstead. Uh, either that or my little brother Mike was one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I started out playing cello when I was a kid. So did I. So did I. Now a bass player, guitar player. I play drums not as well as you. Um, <laughs> you haven't heard me lately. Well, uh, I don't know. You've, uh, you've always been pretty good, so I'm not very good at all. But, um, yeah, as, as far as uh, uh, bass playing now goes, uh, I got a couple of gigs. I've got um, a bunch of dudes down in Gurney uh, in a band called Cool Zoo that I've been writing and playing with. There is a, a very popular artist in Milwaukee who is female and attractive, and I don't know how many other hints I'm allowed to drop, that I've been rehired to play bass for. Um, I let the gig go when I moved to Seattle, and she got a hold of me now that I'm back in uh, the Milwaukee area and playing with her again. i got to keep it on the down low until things are official. But it's a big deal gig. So. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, once that gets all established, you guys should uh, come on the podcast as the other band. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I just She's got a couple other members that she's got to discuss what's going on with, and so I... I while I've been given a novel of music to learn, um, I, I've been scolded that I need to keep it under my hat. So okay, no problem there. Totally understandable. But, um, but yeah, so I'm I'm a busy guy. Yeah, um, that's a good thing. I didn't, I didn't know that there was only three bass players. Very busy, man. And it seems like uh, uh, if you're a guitar player and you want to work, um, pick up a bass <laughs> because. There is uh, plenty of opportunity to play. I I've, I had to turn gigs down recently because yeah. I'm just too busy. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's. It seems like not many people want to play the bass. They want to be the guitar player or the lead singer, and they don't want to be anything but that for some reason.
let's kind of talk about your your beginnings 20 25 30 years ago what music projects did you find that were like your most inspirational you mean when i started playing rock music or yeah or um, yeah let's kind of into your you know your your early your late teens early 20s okay i'd say like i like I might have been a, a freshman at Walden and Racine when I decided I was no longer going to be um, in the symphony and was going to be a punk with the bass. Okay. Um, <laughs> my mom cried. Yeah, it was it was quite the transition. And it was it, it was uh, kind of bittersweet for me too because I, I had very young fallen in love with uh, uh, music through, of all things, the um, the Tchaikovsky pieces of music that exist around the Nutcracker. Man, I loved the Nutcracker when I was a kid. And that's why I got into music. And I, I went from, from that to right in my very early teenage years. And, and even, um, uh, you used to teach at Walden, right? Yeah, uh, 2011 to 2015. Do you, you know your predecessor, Al? Yeah, I've I known him. I've met him. I've talked with him. Yeah, he 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 actually discouraged me from quitting playing symphonic music, and I was like, "This is what I want to do, bro." And so um, he um he kind of took me head on and and um, helped me make the transition. I don't think I could have made it yeah. without El Quasim's help. And then um, very early on, I had a, a music teacher that a lot of people uh, in Kenosha had. Named Ken Fought. and um, right, right, and so Ken, Ken, man, uh, me and and uh, Bryce Layman and and quite a few other cats should just <laughs> always wear t-shirts that say "Fought by Fought." Yeah, um, <laughs> for real though, because he he he's got uh, uh, a, a, and he may not say it this way, but he's got quite the prolific yeah. uh, um, student repertoire. There are a lot of us that he taught to play that people are like, oh, you're pretty good. You know, like, where'd you think? <laughs> Nothing. Then you got to tell him. <laughs> but Ken fought. He deserves a lot of credit for a lot of us cats walking around that are really good. Him and uh, Paul Tatter and a lot of the other guys that were at Lakeshore Music Conservatory. Um, I forget which place uh, it was at Top Trunk. Joe? Did Joe teach from there? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember if he did or not. Whoever, whoever the dad of like one taught at Schmidt and one taught at Lakeshore. The dad oh, Lakeshore. Uh, like he, Joe taught at Lakeshore, and Mark Mark is over right. at Schmidt. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, Joe taught me how to play drums a little bit. Um, Roy Edwards, uh, God rest his soul, taught me how to play drums quite a bit. Um, Melvin Barker actually taught me a lot about playing. He's a harmonica player. Um, so I, 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 luckily, not only did I have a lot of people willing to kind of usher me along in those young 20s, uh, late teen years, um, but a lot of them didn't even play bass. And they were like, look, you want to be a good bass player? This is how I need to communicate. So a lot of, a lot of guys took me under their wing when I was really young. It's pretty cool. Cool. Very cool. What kind of genres do you think kind of grabbed you into out of the symphony and into um, playing bass? Metallica early on, for sure. I think some of the concerts that I was going to when I was young, like um, Tool was still touring on like the Opiate EP. Undertow hadn't come out yet. And I saw them and I was like, oh, I really like this kind of music. I was, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where my mom listened to a lot of like old Motown, and so um, I was getting down to like Jackson Five and Patience yeah. and stuff when I was a kid. And, uh, my dad's favorite band was Pink Floyd. So, so my dad uh, probably very, very uh, influential on my music tastes. Um, a lot of Zeppelin, a lot of Beatles, a lot of Stones. Um, traffic of all things, anything with Steve Winwood really. Yeah. Traffic, uh, Spencer Davis, um, his his later music, uh, stuff that's right up your alley because there's a lot of horns and stuff I was listening to growing up. Oh yeah, absolutely.
Well, let's kind of talk about first starting putting together like your first music project and playing out live. All right. Um, my first music project would have been with the first one that, that actually played out because there were quite a bit of, right. we're all going to sit in the basement and play music. But um, the first one that played out was with uh, uh, Jeff Feenstra and Brian Dorn, um, guys I went to Horlick with in the 90s and I'm not even sure if we had a name our friend uh, Zach Inakowitz was in the group with us and it was called Millhouse like the uh, yeah. uh, blue haired character from the Simpsons um, but Zach left shortly after I started jamming with those guys and um he, um, I don't even know if we had a name. I didn't, I didn't stay with those guys very long. By the time I had met you guys, I was, I was done playing with them and I was kind of doing a lot of, uh, using marijuana and playing with a bunch of other hippies and stuff. But, um, I, I don't think that I had a band that played out on the regular successfully until I was in my young twenties. And, um, that would have been in a band that I was in for a long time called uh, Fearless Leader. We actually had talked about getting together and playing again uh, when I moved back to Wisconsin, but about eight months before I moved back, um, our singer Al passed away from uh, 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 respiratory issues, but this would have been back in like 2018 he passed, so it wouldn't have been related to anything COVID or anything like that, but... Um, so some respiratory issue or another got the better um, um that kind of took the wind out of the sails but that that would have been the the first um big time playing out thing where we were we were um, doing very well um had gotten some label recognition and um, fortunately we had people who were good enough at reading contracts, kind of look at the contracts we were offered and be like, I don't, I don't know if victory down in Chicago is still around, but in the, in the early odd thousands, they had quite a few emo bands. Sign. Victory hates their artists. <laughs> or if you look at their, their contracts, they hate their artists. It, it was not going to be good. We, we decided to stay an independent band. Um, Sometime later, probably the biggest project that I ever had, and I think it wasn't until my young 30s, um, I played with one of the members in Fearless Leader, who was Patrick. Um, and Patrick coincidentally went to school with one of my childhood friends, Bryce, who um, they both studied music out at Whitewater, and uh, both of them, and I and one of our my friends from grade school, um, Becky Leonard, started a Beatles project, and that was um, that was the big one, the Beatles band. Um, that that was gigs I never thought I would have, like uh, Budweiser Pavilion at the State Fairgrounds, a couple of uh, years in a row at the Food and Frost Fest at the Milwaukee Museum. Kids, if you want to play, or if you want to make money and play out a lot, play some Beatles. Yeah. Because you, you will be busy. Yeah, not, not only busy, but you'll probably learn a lot about how to play music. Depends. Yeah. Depends. When we started out, we were playing a lot of uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's on. And then we got a couple of guys that were more our dad's age uh, in the group and started having to do, like, Love Me Do and you're not going to learn much about playing. You might as well play Molly's lips. It's the same two chords over and over. Let me do them. Yeah. 
<laughs> you cannot do that at all. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when you were putting those groups together, obviously this is probably pre-social media, what we call mm. social media now. What were you doing to get those groups recognized? Um, I think by the time Fearless Leader came out, uh, MySpace was in its infancy. But there, it was still a, a, a thing to splash out. Um, I don't even know if Milwaukee Rocks exists anymore. But I think it does. Is is it still the the same engine? I'm sure it's not as popular with the Craigslist. But um, I have no idea. I don't use it. We used to use that to find shows, to find musicians, to find all kinds of stuff. Um, right. So social media has always been a, a helper. Um, before social media, uh, flyers, like when when I was a young young kid, um, in a in a metal band that wasn't popular back when you met me, um, yeah, we we would just go downtown on Main Street and put like a flyer underneath everybody's uh, windshield wiper, and um, there you go. The next day, find tons of flyers out on the ground. Yeah, I think flyers, uh, word of mouth. Um, thank God, social media came along when I when I was pretty young in a way. But yeah, I mean, that's that's usually how we got the word out. Um, I think it helped that by the time we all started playing together in the Fearless Leader group anyway, um, some of us were going to UWM. One of us went to Marquette University. So um, Terry went to Marquette. He was the saxophone player in the marching band. And so we got to use the um, amphitheater at Marquette to practice. And having guys that were... In college, at that college age, that really helped me. My best advice for anybody in their 20s in a band who is finding pitfalls with trying to use Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever to promote is um, there's nothing like like word of mouth and getting your buddies to come to a show and convincing your buddies as bad as your band might be when it starts out that it is a good band. And don't, you know, don't be discouraged by those shows that start out where even if you're trying to get the word out, you only got like eight people there because that's how it starts out. You're going to stink when you start in a band, you know? Yeah. It's all growth. And the, the more you can stick to it and the more you can get along with each other, which is no small feat. No. The better you're going to be cohesively together. I don't know. Usually the, the sponsored things that I get in my feet are like, you don't, you don't even know me, Facebook. I don't listen to this. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to this 22 year old mumble rapper from Atlanta. Like, what are you right. What are you gonna do? Yeah, the analytics or whatever you want to call them, they, they think they know what you're into, but half the time they don't. Right. I'm like listening to like some tribe called Quest from like 1989, and so they're like, "Well, you'll like this then." <laughs> no, <laughs> your algorithm is broken. Really, I'm looking. I'm listening to it for the Lou Reed sample, man. Like, <laughs> right there, you go. <laughs> I'm in Dave Photography, the photography that supports local music in Wisconsin, and is ready to work with your band or any solo artist on your next promo pictures or band show. To contact Diamond Dave and see previous work, check out Diamond Dave Photography on Facebook and Instagram. Wisconsin Music Podcast is also brought to you by ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio recording and mixing services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more. ZTF Studio brings success to your recording project. All right, back to the interview. Let's kind of talk about venues since we kind of you kind of alluded to it. Sure. When you first started out, you were doing probably open mics and bars, and obviously you mentioned summer outdoor festivals was there anything else that you kind of were doing that you thought were helping you get more exposure yes and that would have been taking my band into mcauliffe's pub and up to this point jj mcauliffe kind of thought it was like a, like, like a punk a little shit and he was right he yeah. was right I'm a little <laughs> shit. um but he, he he thought i was kind of a punk ass and i was and i went in there with my group Knowing that he had an acoustic jam, and I was like, look, guys, we're going to have to play acoustic, but if they like us, they'll give us a show. We did a cover of the Hum One Hit Stars, and uh, he heard us play that, thought it was incredible, and, and booked us right there. 
for another show, for an actual show. Cool. The shows we were playing before that was there was a, a, a bar called Arden's Retreat. Those were the caliber of shows we were playing. Uh, one time there was a, I'll preface this by saying I myself am Hispanic. There was a Latin gentleman with a, a fierce mullet doing cocaine off the back of a urinal. In the back. Those, those were the places we started. <laughs> or like quarters in uh, River West. River West Common, stuff like that. When we when we played for JJ the first time, like he kind of really took us under his wing. Um, has helped even uh, later on in years, Bryce, Patrick, and myself. I, I guess it helps having three Irish dudes in the band too. But he uh, he he even helped us get like better gigs. Like uh, is that called Party on the Pavement that they do downtown? Like JJ's helped us get into Party on yeah. the Pavement in the past. So it really, really, what it is is it, it. It's and I wish I would have understood this younger. The venues, you're gonna, you're always gonna start off in crap. But um, the more polite and professional you are, and I wasn't the professional one. I was only Terry was. But the more professional you are, the better venues you're gonna find yourself in. This rock and roll attitude of the world is is against me, which was the chip that I had on my shoulder. It doesn't really get you anywhere. And I, I just thought I was keeping it real, and I didn't realize like I was hurting every other member in my band. But um, but yeah, I mean, there there were some bad venues in the beginning. Like, I, I can't believe I saw a dude do coke off the back of the urinal. Like, whenever you, whenever you're done, bro, I just want to piss. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> take your time. Take your time. Bro. Yeah. Oh my god. Gross. Yeah. Man. Um. So, yeah. If you do, if you're gonna play at local venues, yeah, being a a jackass is not going to get you very far. That's for sure. No, 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 no. And it's not going to help you get into the better band. No. The things, the things that were um, made available to us, like um, Budweiser Pavilion or um, the old uh, BBC on North, I don't know what it's called at this point, but I don't even know if they do music still. But some of the... BBC got shut down, or not got shut is. down, but they're, they closed. I don't think they're in service anymore. That's a bummer. Yeah. But a lot of those, a lot of those better venues kind of came out of mostly word of mouth. I'll be honest. Um, you can social media all day and if you know good, nobody cares. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You get, if you're going to put content out there, it's got to be at least halfway decent. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing too. Like um, when you, when you and I, uh, and, and I don't know if any of you know the listeners know this, but for a brief moment we were in a band together um, called Various Small Fires. When you and I were playing together, yeah, that, that guy that I don't know if you did any of the recording with the guy that was on National, I think it was. Yeah, I was on the that one in like 2014, 2015, somewhere around there, wherever that yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. You gotta be careful who you record with. Uh, later on, I found out that he replaced almost all the bass lines that I recorded, and I was like, well, "That's fine, but then why make you come in?" Yeah, and that—I mean, it was a blow to my my ego when I was younger, but I don't really care. That's important too. The quality of those recordings weren't that great, even though his studio was nice. So. The yeah. content that you put out there into the world, um, a lot of the times you get what you pay for. Because um, I, I recorded later on with a, a, a group that I don't know if I'm legally allowed to name. And um, when we did record, though, we went with a, a professional producer. It was mixed and mastered by whoever the guy Trevor was that mixed some Nine Inch Nails stuff or something like that. Uh, and it was expensive. It was okay. expensive. It sounds great still. That album with... That small fires. It was just that was that was just a weird situation all around. I think at least for me it was. Yeah, I mean, so the leader of the small fires group's name was John Pujol. Nice cat. Um, had some yeah. really cool um, equipment with that. But didn't he have like 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 a Leslie and a Fender Rhodes or something like that? Like it was like it's something like that. Yeah, it's insane. He had like yeah. the rotating speaker in the studio and whatnot. Great piano player. Not a great vocalist. When when I I pretty much showed up to that band and it was just him, me, and I can't remember the kid who played drums. And he asked me to bring some dudes in, and that's when I called you and Patrick and Gegenbach. And 
he was more yeah. than a capable vocalist. And I was like, look, man, we got a good vocalist. You should trust that. And he just was not into yeah. it. And it could have been it could have been a much better recording. Yeah. I mean, there's so many bands out there that have the same or similar storyline. You know, someone's got too much yeah. of an ego or they think what's better than what other people are saying. So either it falls apart or they're right. It's going to go either way. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I, I know I'm just a bass player, but. You're more than just a bass player. <laughs> That's what, you got to tell my bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, doing that show that we did for Thoughts for Food with that band. I mean, I that th- was that was at least kind of cool. At least it was yeah. for me because I haven't played out yeah. in a while. Let's kind of talk about local scene attitude. Let's talk about the positives. Like, what great things like for musicians have you been seeing? Even I mean, compared to Milwaukee and surrounding areas, compared to being when you were out in Seattle, even. You want me to keep it positive? Well, we're gonna go negative after. Okay. All right. What, what's what's positive about our music scene versus yeah. Seattle's music scene? Okay. Well, number one, we have one. Okay. Um, so that's a positive that we have over Seattle. When people in Seattle um, asked me what it was like living in the Midwest, I would pretty much describe it as the summer is Miami and the winter is Siberia. Pretty so, much. The, the weather is always oppressive and everybody realizes that you're in it together. And so it's like, well, might as well just party and get along because what else are we going to do? In Seattle, people are very closed off. Um, they are not interested in new friends. They are not interested in getting together for a beer. They're not interested in much. I'm blown away that in the 90s, they had such an explosion of music come out of there because... Everybody that I worked with musically in Seattle was um, very busy. Everybody is in like six bands. I was like in three at a time myself. And it's very, it's very daunting. And as to where, at least for me, the experience of the idea of original music in our neck of the woods is very positive. Very, there's definitely competition in Milwaukee, but it's not like, uh, there's no room for anybody else. It's just, um, you know, like, okay, well, I'm better than you, but this guy's better than me or whatever. But, like, you know, like, uh, say, you know, there was a, a gig that I was offered with a yacht rock group. Yacht rock is what I think they call it. And they're, they're a Milwaukee yeah. group. Um, and I wasn't right for it, but then I passed it on to my buddy Matt. And now my buddy Matt is in the group. I can't, I think they're called the, the Docksiders, I think. They're they're really good at what they do, man. They can play tempted by the fruit of another, like none other. Not really right for me, but and so there's there's a community here sure. where if you come along a gig and you're like, oh yeah, no, but I do know somebody who might be right for you. That doesn't happen in Seattle because the only way to make money is at casinos out there. And there's a lot of casinos out there, and everybody's competing oh. to be in the best casino group. So there's a lot of backstabbing. There's a lot of mistruths told about people and i was not so uh positives around here is not just that there is a music um scene but once you're engrossed in it if if you're good enough and it's a garnish respect for your craft and also um personable and friendly enough to other people that you're easy enough to work with People will hook you up with gigs that aren't right for them, and, and so, yeah, there's a lot of positive about about the southeast Wisconsin music scene. Um, between uh, people that are just outright encouraging, and, and you run somebody's mom didn't hug him enough, you know. Um, <laughs> if I would have to think about it, I would have to say that there there is more positive than negative. Even Summerfest does what they can to get local acts in the early days so you can feel like you're part of this two week long uh, music festival where there's international acts coming. So I don't know. I dig the Milwaukee's a lot. Yeah. Cool. Now let's kind of flip the coin. And what do you see as struggles in the local music scene? You know, like what's suffocating it? Um, what's, you know, oppressing to make, you know, to help local bands and local musicians, artists rise above and be more noticed. The inability to evolve. Um, and by saying that, 
what I mean specifically is the Midwest, the upper Midwest tendency to hold on to what I call biker rock. Biker rock okay. is like your Steppenwolf. ACDC, oh, you want to talk about a band that, like, if I never have to play a song, ACDC is the top of the list. Okay. You know, I just and I get it. We're, we're Harley City and whatnot, so um, I, I see why there's a niche for that, but I was offered a cover group and turned it down because it was going to be playing Born to be Wild and Deep Purple and shit like that, which is cool if you're into it before my time and not anything that I listened to growing up. I, I think that it's perpetuated by the clubs, uh, especially in the, the more south end of Milwaukee, perpetuated by the healthy dose of biker gang we have in the area. And it's perpetuated just by that's what the scene has been. A lot of people aren't realizing that a lot of people that are into that music are now in their 60s and 70s, not all that interested in going out to a club to see so they're playing uh, uh, Born to be Wild to a Bartender and Three Grizzled Old barker, Biker Hakes. Just a quick Biker Hakes story. Um, when, when me and the guys were in the Beatles group, um, we were playing at um, one of the St. Some Catholic School in Kenosha Festival. Um, and uh, uh, there were not many people by the stage, but then we went into Helter Skelter, and I swear there was like five or six of the biker hags. They came up with uh, um, their um, swollen pelvic regions and were kind of shaking them at the stage. I'm good. I'm good on playing that music, man. Yeah. Current project. So I know you said you're, t- you're working with somebody in Milwaukee, but you also have a band you're working on down in Illinois, right? Right, right. I'll just say that the, the, the person that I'm working with in Milwaukee, her name, she's going to see this in the yellow at me, but her name rhymes with uh, um, G-O-E. <laughs> may or may not have not been very slick about that just now. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's talk about some of the stuff you're working on right now. Sure. Um, I, I play in a cover groups sporadically um, with uh, Marco, who owns Outbreak Billiards in Racine. He's a really good guitar player as well. We were talking to uh, uh, Charlie Bushin, who was in the cover group Moore Avenue, about doing vocals for us, but we lost our drummer, so we're not sure what we're going to do yet. So that's on hold. I write and play with a group of guys called Cool, K-E-W-L, Zoo, and Gurney. The music is on uh, Bandcamp. Yeah, I think it is right now. Um, so some of some of the music's on there. We're actually getting ready to go in and record a whole LP. So that should be interesting. A whole cool. album. So yeah, those are just the three groups that I have. Right, like I said, I turned down the, the the biker cover group, and there was another cover group offer that I got. But yeah, like I said, you know, you can only do so many projects. Well, yeah, I got a couple of kids and a girlfriend and stuff too. So it's like. You want to be able to make time for them too. So. Yeah. Well, balance. I, balance is important, boys and girls. <laughs> I'm almost an empty nester. Me and the wife's, our, our daughter, she's second year in college and she's living on campus again this quarter, this semester. But then she wants to get an apartment in the summer. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty close to empty nesting now. Yeah, they're boomerangs. My daughter's 20 and she's on the couch right now. They're boomerangs. You think you're almost an empty nester. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, I, I, when I was in college, I lived in a flat up at UWM for a while and then came back home. Yeah. Had to live at home. Yep, yep. Yep. You and me both at that age. <laughs> it's just the way our generation, it happened with our generation, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it. John Marcus stuff when we all got out of the college and stuff. Yeah. I guess we're kind of getting towards the end here. I'm just looking over the, my last questions here. I guess work life balance is like one of the last questions I ask. You know, like how are you balancing work, personal life, and music life? Do, is it a struggle or is it have you figured out figured it out basically? You know, when when I plan things, I just get frustrated. <laughs> Because like, they don't go flat. So, <laughs> so, so I do it a lot of, of um, 
by the seat of my pants and prioritization. Of course, uh, um, family and work is, is always going to be a priority. So um, let's say I've got a rehearsal schedule, but work decides that we're going to work late. And uh, I um, drive a dump truck, so that happens a lot. You know, the guys are, are pretty much um, were made aware of from the get-go that, like, look, this is this is a hobby because I don't make that much money doing it. So, right. uh, for sure, balance is important. The, the important thing uh, to remember when you're maintaining that balance is that music, just like any art form, it, it's an it's a extension of self. It's self-expression. And so you have to make sure to make that time for yourself, but at the same time, you don't want everybody that's family circle to be upset with, like, well, you know, you do this too much. Right. Is there a key to the balance, or, or is there a, a plan? Not for me, anyway. I just kind of by the seat of my pants. Yeah. Maybe communication is probably the most important part of all. Yeah, I think communication definitely is is a main key for all of that. No matter what you're doing, and and. Correct partner choice too, because like my girlfriend couldn't be more supportive about no, go play music, go have fun. Yeah. Do you do your thing? I can't say that all entities in the past were that way, but poop on them. <laughs> my girlfriend now is awesome and she is all about you you do your music thing, it's healthy for you, you enjoy. Yep. Yeah, my wife's pretty much the same way. She's like, Fine, go in your office, do your mixing and stuff like that, but you know, make sure that we have time to spend together too. I don't want you in there the whole day. It's like, yeah, I understand that. No problem. I give a mean foot rub. I have a feeling it helps me get away with a lot. <laughs> <laughs> foot rubs, boys and girls, foot rubs. There you go. <laughs> Is there any local or semi-local bands that you are listening to right now that you want to give a shout out to? Dang it. You know, there's, there's with, with a, oddity of covid there's just so little going on right now that it's it's really hard to nail down who you did locally i wish i could remember the name of um the group that my friends danny and amy they're a married couple last name's krishnelli and they own fusion down in, in kenosha okay. which is a great music club by the way it's, it's just starting out, and it's one of the only clubs right now that has like i can't remember the name of their band right now but they're pretty good like jam little group. Who am I listening to? Local dang it, dude. Wait it. Wait to give me the hey, you moved back right before a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all good. It's no no big deal. I just sometimes I ask that just to see if we can give some shout outs, but if you can't remember them, that's it's all right. I just won't put it in there. What whatever whatever band you're in, just like edit it later. You can like always do it like <laughs> There you go. Zach T. Fells band. Yeah. I'm not in any band right now. I'm too busy doing other stuff. Well, well that blew up like a landmine on me. <laughs> yeah. Fell Boys fell apart uh, right around 2011, 2012. Right. What a bummer. You guys were a lot of fun to watch. Dude. Oh, thanks. Local bands. Dang uh, Yeah, I'm listening to um, um, Leah G. Locally. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who that is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, you, now you know who uh, rhymes with what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that. I don't know. I don't know who she is, but I'll have to look her up. She's pretty good. She's pretty good. It's like um, it, it's punk influence. Cool, cool. Um, there's a there's a Taylor Swift cover I had to learn, but. Nothing wrong with that. There's actually a couple. No, I just don't know it. Yeah. I just don't yeah. know it. It's good music. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about it. So, Alex, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. It was such a pleasure catching up with you and talking about some old stuff and what you're into nowadays. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Absolutely, dude. Um, anytime, dude. If you ever need to fill a, a guest shorthanded opinions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being on, and we'll 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 talk to you later. 
Well, I hope you liked that interview with Alex. Hope you got some great information. I know I did. Right at the end of this, we'll have one more song that he was in. The first two songs we heard was from the band Cool Zoo. And the last one that you're going to hear at the end of this episode is uh, from the band Avidus. Uh, Avidus, you can find it. His Reverb Nation. Look down in the podcast show notes. Um, all his social media links and music links are down in there. I'd like to thank Nate Wyckoff for creating the music for the Wisconsin Music Podcast and to Dean Bundy for our great voiceover in the beginning and intro. Thanks to Jacob at CW Hip Hop for syndicating our podcast every Monday at 4 p.m. at CWHipHop.com. Also, ZTF Studio Recording and Mixing Services, specializing in singles, demos, EPs, and LP projects for the last 20 years in southeastern Wisconsin, doing jazz, rock, funk, country, indie, and more.